Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. while the lights are low. Um, welcome to Outreach. My name is Roy. Um, I get the privilege of pastoring here. Um, we're going to take up our offering now, um, and I want to jump into this message. I'm just super excited about this. It's almost a part two of last week's. If, if you weren't here for, I'll just have them pass the baskets while I talk. It's fine. They don't have to wait for anything special or whatever. Um, if you weren't here for last week's message, I would encourage you to, to, to find the podcast and listen to it. Um, I just, I felt like God gave me an amazing word, and I can say that because it's not my word. And, and, um, and it was about, you know, wilderness seasons of our lives. And, you know, there is truth that sometimes we go into a wilderness, but I think that, that if we're not careful, and we talked about this a little bit last week, that, you know, there's these buzzwords in the church, and they get passed around a lot. And one of them is, you know, I've heard a lot in the last few years of people talking about, well, I'm just in a wilderness season. Or, it's just really a desert season of life right now. And, and, and the, the thing about that is, is that, you know, it is biblical. You can find where God does bring people into a wilderness, into a desert season. But it's never to harm them, and it's never to, to destroy them. It's never to hurt them. It was always because there was something he wanted to entrust to them. So you read about John the Baptist, it says, and he, in the, and he received the word of the Lord in the wilderness. God brought him to that place because there was something he wanted to give him, not because there was something he wanted to destroy. It, maybe he wanted to destroy false pretenses or whatever, and, and maybe that's why he separated you from some things. But, but truthfully, if you're in a wilderness season of your life, it may be that, that God is actually wanting to reveal something to you, to entrust something to you, and, to, and for you to come out the other side of it better than you went in. It says Jesus came out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. He didn't go there just to survive. There, there was never a time where he called people to go to the wilderness to struggle and to die. The Israelites decided to do that. That wasn't his plan. All he wanted to do was entrust himself to them so that they could actually know him and they could trust him and he could protect and provide for them. And then they would be equipped and prepared that when he took them into the promised land, they would have the relationship with him he desired so that they were capable of possessing the promise. It wasn't to harm them. They decided that they wanted to spend 40 years wandering around, grumbling, complaining. And a lot of them never, never received the promise, and it wasn't because God was holding out. It was because they were incapable of receiving. And so, um, you know, if, if, you, if you have felt like you were in a wilderness season, maybe you could just have a little shift in perspective where instead of it being this thing where it's, man, it's, it's just so hard, you actually expect to find him there. You say, say, like, God, I, I'm in a, I feel like I'm in a desert season or wilderness season. You know, I, I feel more alone right now because the promise that he gave is he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So even if you're in a wilderness, he's there. You're not alone. And so if you're there with him, how, could it, how much of a desert could it really be if you have the king of kings with you? If you have the son of God with the spirit of God with you, how could it really be that much of a wilderness if the one who turns wildernesses into gardens is there with you? And maybe it's, it, you know, if we would start to see it that way, we would actually start to embrace those seasons and we would start to look for, okay, God, if I'm here, what is it that you want to show me, teach me, be for me, or entrust to me during this time? Because I don't want to miss any of that. And we might spend a little less time in the wilderness if we would start to see them as times to meet with God rather than things to be endured. Come on, you're not called to just endure these things. You're actually, it says in all these things we, we overcome. We're above and not beneath the head and not the tail. Blessed as we come and blessed as we go. There's never a time where he intends for you to just, do you realize every moment of your life was redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Not just the big days, not just days, weeks, months, years. No, every moment of your life was redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Every single minute that you lived was redeemed by his blood, and none of them are throwaways. 
None of them were ever meant to just be discarded and wasted. Every moment of your life has purpose, and every moment was purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and every moment's intended to be filled with him in some capacity. It's never his heart to hold out from us. It's always his heart to give and give. For God so loved that he gave. He's a giver from the beginning. It's the way that he shows his love to us. And so, um, so we were talking about wilderness seasons and and, um, and going through, you know, what we would call hard times and stuff like that. And it kind of just a different perspective on that. And uh, before, I, before I go on, I, I'm distracted a little bit and super excited. My little girl's here for the first time. And yeah. <laughs> Say hi to everybody. Thank you, God. Um, I mean, that was supposed to be months and months away, right? That we were supposed to be in Atlanta for months before that could happen. Um, And so in thinking about, you know, just these these wilderness times, and it kind of led me to a little bit of part two of this, and that is, um, if you open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 17, verse 11, God, we just, man, we're so thankful. You're so good. Uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 11. This is a famous passage, and I actually went and found this in my notes. I keep all my, all my messages and notes because I don't delete them when I'm done. And, and I was, there was a part in here I wanted to, to look at again, and, and so rather than re-looking it up, I just found it in my notes. And I had to go back to 2012 to find it, and I realized, man, it Six years later, 2018, like your word is still so alive and there's so much more and there's such a depth to it. And the more we dig in, the more we see. And it's, it's not this book that you read through once and you're done. It's alive. And the same word will speak to you in this season and speak to you in that season. And both are truths. They're just truths for where you are in that moment and things that God wants to show you. Because his word is not just like one dimensional. It's not just this deep. It's not just, okay, I've read it. I've experienced it. Good. I move on. No, we're continually experiencing the depth of his love. And so everything that we've experienced in him, there's always more. You can forever mind the richness of the Word of God. That's why we need to be sure that we are in the Word and know the Word of God, because you go through these things like a wilderness, you know, and if you don't realize that God wants to bless you in the wilderness, suddenly it becomes this harsh place, this place that you're enduring, and you're, why me, God, and, and, and how come, and you said, and all these things. But if we understand and we look in the Word, we see Jesus went into the wilderness, came out in the power of the Spirit. John the Baptist went to the wilderness, came out with the revelation of God. And it doesn't even matter why you're in the wilderness, It doesn't even matter why you're alone. God will use it. Think about this. They exiled John to the Isle of Patmos. Man does this to John. They exile him. They stick him on an island by himself. God looks and says, oh, he's all alone. Here's a perfect time to bring him into heaven and give him the revelation of my son, Jesus Christ. There's no wasted days, no matter why you're there. It could be people that made you there. It could be the Lord that brought you there. But it's always working for your good. There's always more that he wants to give. You know, John could have sat on the island and just been like, why me, Lord? Can you just take me home? And, and God was going to answer that prayer and bring him to heaven, but not because John was on the island saying, why me? I believe it's because John was on the island saying, if I'm going to be here alone, I'm going to know you more, because he was the one who understood the love that God had for him to the point that he called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. I believe you've put John alone on an island like that with no distractions around. He just went further into the heart of God. And God says, there's someone who's seeking after me, and I'll diligently reward those who come after me. Come on up here, John. I want to show you something. Your wilderness can be that place where God says, come on up here, I want to show you something. And it doesn't matter why you're there. People could think that they're punishing you 
by abandoning you. And all they could be doing is setting you up for the greatest encounter with the Lord that you've ever had. But it's our perspective that matters. It's our heart that matters. We could be offended and hurt by people and angry because we're there. We could look to the Father, say, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And now that we're here, Lord, what is it that you have for me? Come on, think about that. Both, both people, same situation. One's over there hurt, offended, and asking God and questioning the Lord, why does this happen? And why do people? And, and all I did and all those things that we say that sound so valid and we make it all about us and we take it personally and now all of a sudden we're on this stupid island with nobody here. And, you know, and, and really, we get this way and we, we give ourselves permission. And, and, and especially if you ended up there because you were doing something God called you to do, then the temptation, the bait of, of the enemy is there to really take that bait and get offended because all I ever did was serve you, Lord, and this is what it got me. You know, if you're there because you screwed up and did something stupid, you're mad at yourself a little bit, you understand why you're there, and eventually you'll get to this place of being like, okay, why am I? But, but when, you're, when you're there not because of anything you've done wrong, you're actually there because of doing things right. Friends have abandoned you, or people have disappointed you, people have failed you, and you've actually been seeking the Lord this whole time. The temptation will be there to feel sorry for yourself through a pity party and make that island an island of gloom and doom and why me and regret and anger and frustration. Or it could be, God, this is amazing. I get to be alone with you right now. And what they meant for evil, you'll work for good. And if there's not another person around, that means you have me all to yourself and I have you all to myself. What do you want to show me, Father? Come up here, John. I have something I want to show you. Brings them up into heaven, gives them the revelation of Christ. Don't ever settle for a wilderness without settling for receiving something in that place. Don't ever, ever, ever write off some days as a wilderness without an expectation that if I'm here, he has something he wants to entrust to me. Because it's what he did every time someone went into a wilderness. They always came out with something more than they went in. The goal isn't just to survive the wilderness. The goal is actually, it doesn't matter where I'm at in my stage of life. God, I can know you more. And I can, there's more of you that I can understand. And there's more of you that you can entrust to me. And so if we have this, this mentality, suddenly do wildernesses even look like a wilderness anymore? Because the truth of the matter is, is take everything in the world and put it on that island and remove Jesus. And that's a wilderness. Take everything off of that island, but Jesus is there, and it's not a deserted island anymore. Come on, it's our perspective that matters. You can be surrounded by people and be so lonely, you could be all alone and so fulfilled. Amen. I just take babies saying that as amens. And I'm going to do it no matter what. So John, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 17, verse 11 talking about Jesus, says, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, we're not 10, they're not 10 cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. God, I just thank you for your word. I think it's so alive. God, that it's here today to do exactly what you sent it forth to accomplish in our lives. Holy Spirit, I ask that our ears would be open to hear, our minds to understand, that our hearts would be good soil. God, that if there's any ground in our heart that's, that's gotten hardened or we feel like maybe it's barren. Would you just come and touch that place, God, that we could receive this truth, that it would bear fruit in our lives. God, that a world that, that doesn't even know you exist, 
doesn't even acknowledge your existence, God, would taste the fruit of our lives that you're producing in us and know that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. It, it, that's how people that don't know there's a God will taste and see that he's good is by the fruit of your life, by the fruit of my life, as the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in us. If it just, We talked about this a little bit earlier. Just, there's probably some people here that need to hear this. You know that you can manifest the presence of Jesus anywhere that you are? You realize, like, it's not just for a church service. You, you could be in line at the DMV. Listen, you could be in line at the DMV, and, and your attitude could be, why am I stuck here? I can't believe this line so long. And you could grumble, and you could complain. And then you could, someone could come, and they could, they could step in front of someone in front of you, and, you uh, oh, and now you're offended because they have taken more of your time because they did what they should. And you could spend the whole time there grumbling, complaining, angry, and being transformed, not into the image of Christ, but being transformed into the image of everyone else in line. Or you could be the person that takes two seconds and remembers, God, I thank you that you're here. God, I thank you that if I have to stand in this line for 45 minutes, or an hour and a half if you live in Easley, if I have to stand in this line for 45, because Easley's worse than Greenville. If I have to stand in this line, God, for 45 minutes, you laugh, but it's true. If I have to stand in this line for 45 minutes, God, I'm going to manifest you. And, I, and that's 45 minutes I'm going to spend and I can't do anything else. I'm here. So let it be with you. And then all of a sudden you get done praying that. And now you're aware of the presence of God because his presence isn't coming and going. But our awareness is what ebbs and flows. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never Listen, David lived in the old covenant. And he said, where could I go that I could escape? He couldn't even get away from his presence. Never mind if you're seeking after it. He said, God, where could I go that I could hide from your presence, that I could escape? If I went to the highest mountain, there you would be. If I went and made my bed in Sheol, there your presence would find me. In other words, it doesn't matter where I go. Your presence is there. So if David, with the old covenant understanding, knew that the presence of God was everywhere he went, how much more than us who have a greater covenant, who have the Spirit of God living inside of us, not just resting upon us, Spirit of God living, how much more aware should we be of the fact that his presence is everywhere? And our awareness is what happens. So suddenly you become aware of the fact that you carry the presence of God and you're no longer just standing in line at the DMV. You're manifesting Jesus. And then all of a sudden you realize, if I'm stuck here for 45 minutes, it means the person behind me, they're stuck with me for 45 minutes. And you turn around, hey, how you doing? And then pretty soon there's a conversation going and you never know where that leads. But guess what? If you're sitting there angry because you have to be in line and, and, and wishing you were anywhere else and distracted and not present and not realizing that Jesus' blood was shed for those 45 minutes in the line at the DMV just as much as it was for the 45 minutes we just worshipped. Someone needs to hear this. Those 45 minutes in line at the DMV are just as redeemed as the 45 minutes we just spent worshipping him. And in fact, there may be even more of a need for you to manifest Christ in that setting than there was in this because you may be the only one there and you may be surrounded here. All right. Ten lepers. Ah. So Jesus is walking, and he comes across ten men with leprosy. And back in those days, they would take you, and if there was something wrong with you, they would lump you with other people who had the same thing wrong. So if you were a leper, you were unclean. You were ceremoniously unclean, and you were physically unclean. And so to keep the disease from spreading, and also to keep from other people being defiled, and temples, and priests, and all the ceremonial things from being defiled, they would tell you, you're not allowed to be with everybody else. And they would remove you from your family, they would remove you from your, your community, they would alienate you, and they would stick you together with other people who had the same dysfunction that you had. This is what they did with lepers. 
That's why be really careful that, that people who are joined together are joined together by something that's worth having. Because dysfunction will draw people together just as, just as good as, as, as well as bad as good things. I promise you, just because people are knit tightly together doesn't mean the thing that's drawing them together is something that you want. Come on. So they, they are all together. And, and in this situation, you have, it, says, it points out that there was one Samaritan, meaning the rest were Jews. And, you know, dysfunction will cause you to join together with people that you never would have. Just like the Spirit of God will. Make sure we're discerning which one it is that's drawing people together. I, I just, someone needs to hear it, listen to me. Just because it's a tight group doesn't mean that what they have is worth having. And so they would, when people would come, they would have to stay off at a distance and they would have to shout, unclean, 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 to let everybody that was clean know that the thing that identifies us is what's wrong with us. I mean, it's a good thing the religious leaders of today don't alienate groups of people and identify them by their dysfunction anymore. But you can imagine back then they did that. And it was not right. It's not good. Not that there's not some wisdom in saying, hey, you guys are sick, stay there, you know, but, but to alienate people, to force them out of community, to rip them away from everything and take them from the very people who are supposed to carry the, 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 the answer. If the answer is afraid of the, of the problem, we have a real problem. Anytime the answer becomes afraid of the problem, we've got a bigger problem. Because Jesus said, you're the light of the world. So instead of this, though, for some reason they see Jesus, and for some reason they yell, Master, have mercy on us. What happened is they, they, they got so fed up with their condition, they were so desperate, they were so in need of a touch that they stepped outside of, the, of, the, of, the, of what was required of them. They stepped outside of the political correctness of the day and they just in desperation saw this man and saw that he could maybe help them. And so they say, Master, have mercy on us. When you get to the place that you don't care if you look foolish or you break rules around you because you just need him, Jesus will answer. I promise you it's not found in the neat little protocol. It's in this place of like, Jesus, I can't live this way anymore, and I see you, and I'm not going to miss my opportunity. So it doesn't matter if I look foolish. It doesn't matter if people around me don't approve of what I'm doing. I have to have you. And when they do that, Jesus looks at them and says, go show yourselves to the priests. And in that command, there's healing. Why? Because nobody could be in the presence of the priest who was unclean. Now, how many of you guys realize that it took faith for men who had leprosy to start walking towards the temple? They could be stoned for this. They could be killed. They could be punished for what was unclean, daring and having the audacity to step into the holiest, cleanest place. Every one of them at that moment exercises faith in Jesus Christ. So this is not a faith issue at this point. Because for them to turn and start walking towards the temple takes faith because they have to believe something's going to change. Or they have no business going to the temple. They won't make it to the priests because the priests were, were insulated. There's no way you're going to make it to them. So in faith, they start walking towards the priest. And as they're walking, and I don't know how far away it was. I don't think it was too, too far. But as they started walking, suddenly the leprosy starts to disappear. Now, leprosy is not one of these diseases that's like, 
you know, it's an internal thing that you really can't tell, and maybe next time you go to the doctor, have them check. No, no. Leprosy is your, your own flesh is eating itself. It's destroying itself. It's acting against itself. It was super painful, and this is kind of gruesome, but it's the truth. It was so painful that it, they said that the, the rats would gnaw on lepers while they slept, and, and the lepers wouldn't even wake up because they were so used to living in constant pain that they couldn't even feel it. This is the pain they felt that they lived in. This is, now you start to understand why maybe when they saw Jesus, they said, you know what? I don't care what everybody else says. I have to have him. You know, the truth is every one of us at some point in our lives has to get to that place where what is eating us, we care more about him and getting free from what it is than what the people around us would think. Every one of us has to come to this place where we say, you know what? I don't care what everyone else thinks. I don't care what everyone else says. I don't care what's expected of me. I have to have Jesus. I have to be free from this thing. And when you get there, that's where he'll meet you. I promise you. And so, so they're walking, and, and suddenly the leprosy starts to disappear. And it says, and one of them begins to loudly glorify God. It, 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 the, you realize that like, there should be times in your life where God does things, and you loudly begin to glorify him? We hide behind these labels of, well, I'm just an introvert or, you know, and that's just not the way that, you know, I'm not saying that that everybody's going to be the same as far as that goes. But if you never have anything in your life that you loudly glorify him for, if you never want to just shout and thank him, you have to ask yourself why. Why have I never had anything happen in my life that I went walking and leaping and praising God? Why did I never start glorifying God loudly in front of other people? Now, if someone comes to you and is like, hey, you know, you can't really do that here. we got to keep it. Okay, you can respect them. You don't have to be a rebel and be like, oh, yeah, watch me. (laughs) But at some point, someone should maybe have to look at you because you're being a little bit loud. It doesn't say, and the extrovert in the group started. It just says the one, what? It, you, we'll see in a moment what made him do that was the fact that he understood that something had happened to him and he was filled with thankfulness and gratitude and that overwhelmed him and he began to glorify God. And what does he do? The second he realizes, I've received from him, he turns and he heads back to the one who healed him to give him thanks. And, and it, it doesn't say why the others didn't. But I have a few ideas based on what we see here in Scripture. You notice that it points out two times that one of them was a Samaritan. You notice that Jesus makes a point to let us know the one who returned is a foreigner. Maybe maybe the rest of them were Jews. The rest of them were sons of promise, heirs with Abraham. And so when they got healed, it was just what we should expect because we're sons of Abraham, because we're heirs of the promise. But that Samaritan, of course, he's leaping and praising God. He doesn't deserve it like we do. The the thing we have to be careful of is this, is as we start to discover more and more who we are in Christ and what it is to have covenant with the living God and what it is that's been promised to us, we have to make sure that, that, and, and, and that should build expectation in us. Faith should always build expectation. Because if you believe him, then you have to have an expectation that he really is who he said and that he really will do what he said he would do. But what we have to be careful of is then when we receive what it is that we expect because of what he said, that we actually don't allow ourselves to become entitled because we say, well, that's just because I'm a... No, listen, it's because of his grace and his mercy and his goodness. And if you ever lose sight of that, you'll allow expectation to become entitlement. And you'll lose sight of the fact that the one who, who performed the miracle still deserves praise, even though he was acting on what he said he would do. 
And I think this maybe is what happened, that the Jewish people are walking along and they get healed, but they just, you know, well, we had faith and we were walking towards the temple. Of course we got healed. We're sons of Abraham. We're sons of the promise. We're his children. He loves us. And, and so, of course, we got, we got healed. But that, but that Samaritan, see, the one who doesn't feel like he deserves it and doesn't feel entitled to it, he can't help but glorify God and thank God and praise God. And he wants to run back and, and give praise to Jesus. Just be careful that your understanding of who you are in Christ never makes you entitled to the point that you lose your gratitude. Just be careful that the expectation of faith doesn't rob us of the ability of living a grateful lifestyle. Or, or maybe this is what happened. Because remember, if, if you were a leper, they would alienate you from your family. You couldn't work. You couldn't live in community with your family. You had to live in a leper colony outside of town. You, you couldn't see your children. and All these, these horrible things. I wonder if maybe they were tempted to, as they were walking and they became clean, start to think about what the miracle meant for their lives more than they did about the one who performed it. Wonder, maybe they started to think about what this blessing would do for them rather than the one who blessed them to begin with. Another thing we need to really be careful about is this, is that when you're blessed by the Lord, your, your attention doesn't become on, so what does that mean for me, before your attention becomes on, who was it that did this for me? I got to thank him. Because if we make what happened all about us and we lose sight of him, there's no thankfulness, there's no gratitude. And the, the, the problem with that is this, is that Jesus then when he comes back says, wait a minute, weren't 10 cleansed? Why did only one return? and a foreigner. In other words, Jesus expected fully that all 10 of them would come back and glorify the Lord by thanking him. He didn't excuse them. He didn't say, oh, I guess, it, I get it, the Jews, they, they don't have to thank me, but you, Samaritan, undeserving. No, he says, wait a minute. And, and here's something that we need to really be careful about, and I, I'm going to read this because when God spoke it to me, I wrote it down, and I thought, man, that's good. I don't want to screw that up trying to paraphrase it. But what if stewarding a reward looks like having the same desperation to get back to his feet to thank him that we had when we were trying to get to his feet with the need? Well, I will. What if stewarding a reward well looks like having the same desperation to get back to his feet to thank him after we've received that we had to get to his feet to ask him for what we were asking for? Because, see, these men were desperate when they had need. But as soon as what they needed was provided, their need for Jesus was fulfilled except for the one. You, we have to be really careful. And I'm just being honest in my own life. God's been challenging me with this because the truth of the matter is, is, is with what we've been through in the past two months, there's been times where I'm sitting on a cot looking at my little girl on life support and there's nothing else I can do. So it's pretty natural at that point to seek the Lord and to, to, to just come to him in desperation and, and in thankfulness and all these different things. But then when she's walking around and talking, do I have the same level of desperation to get to him to say thank you that I had to go to him and ask him for her healing in the beginning? And do I just as well remember my need for him in this moment that I was aware of my need for him in that moment? Because if we're not careful... Once we, it is a whole lot easier to lean and understand our need for him in a desert season than it is, listen, David, 
understands his need for God immensely when he's in the caves. You can read it. All he wants is, God, don't take your presence from me. My God, my God, come. God, help. God, I need rescue. God, it's God, God, God when he's in the caves. But then he gets onto the throne, and the first thing we read is this. And in the spring, when the time came for kings to go to war, David stayed home. In other words, when, when, when it was crisis, when my life was on the line, when, when, when I was in the middle of being hunted and pursued, I was so attentive to you, God, and I did whatever you asked me to do, even if it looked bad to other people, even if it meant I just cut the hem of Saul's garment rather than taking his head off, because all I wanted to do what was, was what was pleasing to you, God. I didn't dare to take a misstep when my life was on the line and it was a razor edge. But now that I'm on the throne... It's time for me to go to war, but I'm going to just, I'll stay here. And I'll go hang out on the rooftop tonight. And I'll see a woman I was never supposed to see. And I'll have a desire I was never supposed to have. And I'll commit an action I was never supposed to commit. And then I'll commit a bunch more to try to cover it up. Why? Because when you're sitting on the throne in a season of good, it's easy to take your eyes off of your need for him in a way that isn't easy when you're sitting in a cave being hunted by a king. And the thing that keeps us, I believe, cogn conscious of our need for him is cultivating a lifestyle of thankfulness where every single day I remind myself of the things that I'm thankful for and I actually get before him and I thank him just as fervently now for what he's done in my girl's life as I prayed and asked him seven weeks ago to do. Because now I'm thanking him for what he's done, and I'm asking him for more of what he's going to do. But I'm keeping myself. And here's the amazing thing. Think about this. Jesus. Jesus walks. Lazarus dies. They call for Jesus. Jesus walks up, and this is what he faces. He faces anger and frustration. If you were here, you could have done something. Now it's too late. He faces death. Lazarus is dead in a grave. He faces despair. There's people wailing and crying all around. So he walks into death, despair, anger, frustration, accusation. And, and, and the first thing he does when he walks up, and he says this in John 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 41. It says, he, so they took away the stone. Now, do you realize that, that when they took away the stone from the grave, it was a big production, this wasn't like, you know, okay, let's take the stone away. This was everybody had to help, and it would make this awful grinding noise, and they would have to roll this stone away. It was a big to-do, and it took a while to do it, and everybody would have been watching. And Jesus, with all eyes on him, with all attention on him, surrounded by death, frustration, anger, accusation, and nobody believes, says this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for their sake. What's he doing? He says, Lord, the first thing I'm going to do, in God, the first thing I'm going to do in this situation when I'm surrounded by death, despair, darkness, anger, accusation, is I'm going to find something to thank you for. And the thing that he thanks him for is not something new that he came up with in the moment. It was because he cultivated a lifestyle of thankfulness that the Father heard him because then he says, I knew that you always heard me. In other words, I didn't just get this revelation that you hear me right now and so I'm thanking you in this moment. I'm thanking you for something that I've been thanking you for every single day. And when I find myself in this situation, it doesn't affect me because I'm still thankful for the things I came into it thankful for. 
And if I have to fix my eyes on one thing right before I raise him from the dead, when I'm surrounded by all this stuff that's not from you, God, I'm going to fix my eyes on you, and I'm going to find something that's worth thanking you over. And I'm going to make sure everybody hears me. What did Jesus do when they brought him the boy's lunch? After giving thanks, he blessed it. What if thankfulness is the atmosphere that allows God to restore, to redeem, to resurrect? What if every time we see a miracle like that happen, Jesus was thankful beforehand, and then God did what it was he was thankful for? And what if Jesus never took his eyes off of the fact that he needed the Father? Because he said, looked at them and said, look, the things that I do, I only do what I see the Father doing. These words that I speak are not my own. I speak what I hear the Father say. What was he saying? You guys, I've never, ever lost sight of the fact that I need my Father. And then he called us to be like him. Here's something that really blows me away. So one comes back. Jesus looks at him and he says this. Think about this. Now, it says they were all healed. They all had faith. They all did what Jesus told them to do. They were all obedient. But then Jesus looks at him and says, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. There's a part of faith that's tied to thankfulness. See, there's faith in the asking, but then there's faith in the returning and giving gratitude when the thing that was asked for is actually received. And God calls both of them faith. And so he says to him, your faith has made you well. And you read that in the original language, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. But when you read this passage in the original language, he looks at him, he says, wait a minute, weren't there 10 that were cleansed? Caterizo, that word means cleansed or purged. That means something that was on them that wasn't supposed to be there was taken away. Everybody got that. But he says, but your faith has made you sozo. Your faith has made you whole, healed, set free, delivered. In other words, everybody got stuff taken away from them that wasn't my plan for them to have. But the one who was thankful actually received something that I had for them. Think about this. What if Jesus always has more, but it's the condition of our heart and the gratefulness that we have? What if we could take, and I'm just going to close up, I'll close up with this because we're out of time, but what if we could take that verse that says, he was faithful with the little will be made ruler over much, and we just put the word thankful in there, and we said, he who is thankful with little will be thankful with much. And God's looking for the ones who would be thankful with the little. He's looking for the one who said, thank you for taking from me this thing that was on me that wasn't supposed to be there. And he says, and that one that thanked me for taking everything away is the one that I'm going to give everything else to. Come on, think about it. Every one of us receives from Jesus the purging, the cleansing. He says if we come to him, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to cleanse us. Same word, katarizo, from all unrighteousness. But what if thankfulness and a life that says, you know what, I need you just as much now as I did before you took that away, is what allows us to step into the place of receiving the more and everything else that he has for us. I, I don't, I, I hope that I never stand up here and speak a word from him and it'd just be like, good, well, that was good, you know, good message, but, but not change our hearts. But, but man, I just, if there's, if there's something that I really could just, if I could stamp this into our hearts, it would be to be thankful no matter where we're at, to cultivate a lifestyle of thankfulness that says, I'm just as thankful for you today when I'm waiting on that promise as I will be the day that you, that you make good on it, as I will be the next day when I live in the fruit of it. 
that my thankfulness isn't going to waver and be changed by what I see. My thankfulness is in you and who you are and what you've promised. And so if I'm, think about this, Zacchaeus, Zachariah is, is praying for a son for so long, he's given up praying. He so desperately wants a son, and he doesn't receive one. And for so long that he's just given up, and suddenly an angel comes to him and says, you're going to have a son, and all that can come out of his mouth is, how can I do that? If you become so focused on what hasn't happened, an angel could appear and tell you you're about to receive it, and your heart won't even get into the place of being able to receive or believe that he's actually doing what it is you've been praying for. And, and, and this is, it's always made me curious why he said you'll be mute until the child's born, but I think maybe that was the first time of if you can't say anything good, just don't say anything at all. Because <laughs> the angel of the Lord says, you know what, I've heard enough. And I don't like where this conversation's going. Don't say another word. I don't want you to screw this thing up because there's a promise and it's going to be delivered. And you're already one strike. Last thing I need is for two more strikes and then something bad to happen. So how about you just shut your mouth? Don't say another word. And then once the child comes, you can open your mouth and tell everybody what I said to name him. But think about this. This can happen to us if we're not careful. In these wilderness seasons, we become so focused on what's not there that we lose sight of what is. And we're looking around going, it's just this dry desert. And Jesus is over there going, hey, I'm here. And God, you and I, and I don't know why, and they don't, and all this. And Jesus the whole time is in the background going, but I'm here. And I don't have this, and I don't have that. And you said, and they didn't, and I, I'm here. I'm just in this wilderness season. Maybe we could add a little excitement to that when we realize that if we're all alone somewhere, it's because he wants to give us something that he couldn't give us when we were so busy with everything else, that he drew us into that season. Or we're there because of something that somebody did, and he'll work all things for good. And so even if you're in a wilderness because people exiled you to a private island, he's there. He'll give you something. Just think about this. They thought that they were harming John by sending him to that island to be by himself, and God looks at him and says, there's the one who's been after my heart this whole time, and he's finally alone. I can, John, come up here. I want to show you something. I want to give you something. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that you would change our perspective, God, that we would be the most grateful people. God, in seasons of, of lack and in seasons of plenty, that our need for you, God, our desperation to thank you would be as great as our desperation to ask you. That we would never be so consumed with what the miracle means that we forget to thank the one who performed it. That we would never be so full of the knowledge of the covenant that we would be entitled and lose our ability to be grateful. God, that we would just constantly be thanking you for every single good thing. And that in doing so, we position ourselves to receive the more that you have. God, we don't just want to be cleansed. We want to be whole. In every area of our life, God, we don't just want the bad removed. We want the good added. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for your heart for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.